You're listening to On Conflict with Julia Menard and Gordon White. Big ideas and big feelings. Let's go make the world a better place. And now, your hosts. Hello, my name is Julia Menard. Hi, Julia. Hi. <laughs> you want to say who you <laughs> my are? My name is Gordon White. Gordon this White. is the On Conflict Riffcast. It is the Riffcast. In which we comment on our interview from the previous week, which was with... Dr. Philip... Lancaster. Yes. Distinguished career as an officer in the Canadian Armed Forces. And at the same time, a philosopher soldier. He has a PhD in philosophy from the University of Ottawa. And he currently holds an appointment as an adjunct professor in the School of Child and Youth Care, University of Victoria. Yes. You don't have to have listened to that podcast to follow along on this one. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we think it was a fascinating conversation and would encourage you to go over and have a listen to that as well at some point. But I think a lot of his history has had to do with di diplomatic initiatives related to military, with military knowledge, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Between his appointments at the World Bank and the United Nations. Mm -hmm. So w one of the places I'd like, to, well, the place I'd like to start is thinking about for me, reflecting on what Phil called the key challenge that he saw in terms of conflict and humanity. And a key moment in the conversation with Phil was when I realized he was seeing the political economic, he called it dysfunction, but the political economic dysfunction in our political systems as the key challenge to humanity. Conflict challenge. Conflict challenge. Thank you. Right. That is what we ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was the so the conflict he's speaking about is between a kind of political elite, right? And the rest. Political elite slash corporate interests. Yeah. 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 What was the term he used? Economic feudalism. Economic feudalism, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It gets me curious. I haven't gone and Googled that term, but I'm imagining no, he said it was his. Really? Yeah. Oh. He said he thought about it oh. based on this interview, I think. All right. Well, whoever's listening, go Google. Yeah. See. See, see. Yeah. So he's very, he's very much of the view that the, um, the environmental problems will loom larger and become, I guess, the political challenge of our times. Yeah. And his concern is that the voice of the many is not being registered in mm -hmm. the political landscape, in the political dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that the democratic process in its purest intent mm -hmm. is being eroded. Mm -hmm. And that certainly as he, he referenced Steve Pinker, he actually referenced a previous conversation he and I had had about Steve Pinker's work. Pinker attributes the decrease in violence partially to having a democracy. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So that's, I think, in Phil's mind, who's yeah. making that link too. When we yeah. were talking. But I think Phil was saying that in a sense, it's um, uh, kind of a, not exactly a delusion, but that in ca a cap it's sort of encapsulated, right? But it's a, it's a bubble that's in danger of bursting. Which bubble is in danger of bursting? The bubble which informs us that violence in Western societies has been dropping. Because he says, we're, he thinks we're on the potentially on a cusp where there could be civil violence, I think. Right? Yes. Based on his peacekeeping efforts at other places in the world where there has been a lot of violence, he's been exposed to some of the worst violence 
in the world yes, in the has. last 40 years yes. or whatever. Yes, he For example, has. the Rwandan genocide, he was right there. Yes, he was. He's saying, based on his experience there, mm -hmm. he's concerned that we could have mm -hmm. violence in our society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I was reminded I have a, a friend who came in to, I th she was working, I think, subcontracting for the Jimmy Carter Center at the time a couple of decades ago. And she came into another African country that was in some post-electoral chaos. And I remember her telling me when she came back to Canada that what she realized was the utmost importance of the rule of law which, of course, he brought up, Phil brought up as, mm -hmm. a, as a soldier mm -hmm. uh, and somebody working in that context. But I remember her saying, telling me stories such as, if you don't have your police system working, for example, or your judicial system working, what she saw happen, as an example, is somebody would commit a crime and then um, he, he would know because there is continual threats towards judges, that the judge would either not look at the crime as something indictable or have a mutual understanding that the jail cell door would be left open. And plus, there was no real police force actually to police it. But if it, something did get to the court system, so having respect for a police force, having respect for the legal system, having mm -hmm. respect for the governmental system creates the sense of the rule of law. Mm -hmm. Can I add another? Oh, you were yeah, going to add something? Yeah, no, yeah. I want to add yeah. something because yeah, yeah. I think what yeah. when we probed into things he was saying, one of the things that really came back to him for him, I think, was saying that uh, one of the ultimate problems he's seeing is the passivity of the electorate, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if people are not politically active, mm -hmm. then a few can hijack the system or take advantage yeah. of it. And that's what he feels has happened. Yeah. And, and he feels the electorate has a lot more power than it realizes, but it needs to get engaged. Right? Yes. Yeah. And one, and one of the reasons people stay out of political engagement, I think he, he may not have explicitly said this, but we certainly are, is that one of the reasons people stay out of political engagement is because it involves conflict, right? Hmm. You're going to have conflicts or you're going to have to work out with other people, like mm -hmm. disagreements about how mm -hmm. things should be done, right? Mm -hmm. Or differences, mm -hmm. at least, mm -hmm. that have mm -hmm. to be worked with. Mm -hmm. And the political system, of course, is designed to handle those in a nonviolent way, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's the intent. That's one of the things he said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you have a theory about that you were talking with me about off air? Well, the thing I wanted to mention about it is mm -hmm. I'm, one of the things we try to do is relate these sort of larger issues down to the micro level, right? At, at an individual level. We people, try to do? Who, yeah. Who we, we? Well, you and I. On the radio show? Yeah. On this radio. Is this radio? It's radio to me. Radio. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> guess it's a podcast. Okay. But it's kind of like radio. Um, as individuals, we tend to, we have tendencies to avoid conflict, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we see that in our work. Yeah, we certainly, mediators. we certainly see that in our work. Constantly. And we see negative consequences from not doing that, right? From non-engagement. Right. That's right. And so this is, so in a sense, this macro political picture is mm -hmm. analogous in some way mm -hmm. to what we're, what we observe on an individual mm -hmm. level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's the courage to step forward, be involved in it, mm -hmm. right? Step mm -hmm. forward on an individual level and get involved in the conflict that's actually already there that you're avoiding or denying or, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I'll go ahead. No, please. <laughs> the thought ended. It's gone. 
<laughs> well, I'm just thinking about a conversation we had with Mark Gerzon, another one of our guests, and we were speaking about those times, those infamous times when we get together with family or friends who may have different political orientations than we do, and the tendency to want to avoid those conversations because they tend to go badly (laughs) (laughs) in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, and I think the notion of avoiding is quite relevant there as well. And, and the courage to be able to speak Mm up. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, inspired by Mark, I did speak up with this one family that I've quasi family member that I've spoken about off and on that is in my life who has a different political persuasion. And it was quite fascinating. We had a conversation Mm -hmm. about the fact that there are times when I'm finding it difficult to continue on in the conversation in the area of politics. Mm -hmm. And it was a great response because the person said to me that she and her husband had noticed that Mm -hmm. we seem to have free-flowing conversations when it comes to any number of topics, except when it gets to a certain point in the political Mm -hmm. discussion. So that was certainly opening up a new Mm -hmm. possibility. You were starting to talk about the process of how you're interacting with each other, right? Yes. Yeah, and so often we find in our work, right, if we can shift from the content level to the process level, how Mm -hmm. the communication or the interaction is happening, that often will provide what, an opening or a, p- a possibility for change? Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. In fact, so often when I'm teaching, people ask me, and I often say this at the beginning of classes, I say, one of the things you're going to hear me say a lot is, if you can find some way to talk about the dynamic, you know. Hmm, that that it, will be helpful. It's usually, it's it's such an important yeah. initiative factor, mm-hmm, practice, mm-hmm, such practice. an important practice. Yeah, action. action. An action you can take yeah. is to actually, A, have the conversation mm. and be have it about how you're speaking with each yeah, other. That's yeah? right. Yeah. 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 The process. Yeah. I'm going to try and make it a little more explicit because mm-hmm. in our, when we're teaching a lot of times people ask us, how do you deal with this? And what we're suggesting here is that very often what we're saying is find some way to talk about it. How do you deal with this? With this when the person's like this, how do you do it? Deal with it. Find some way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. When this dynamic is going on, been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it? Find some way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was also thinking about uh, something I read in William Urey's book, The Third Side, mm-hmm. where William Urey, for those of you who are not familiar, um, is an anthropologist, but he was also, well, and he was also the co-author of the very famous book, Getting to Yes, and then Getting Past No, and I think getting over yourself, or I don't think that that was quite right, but getting something like that, his more recent book. But in the third side, as an anthropologist, he had the opportunity to travel to some cultures that had been deemed as peace-oriented or peace-loving cultures. And what he found in those cultures is that there was an active engagement in conflict, both on the individual level, but also on the societal level, one could say the community level, one could say the political level. And if you and I, for example, were having a conflict, and I talk a lot about this when I teach, (laughs) the general tendencies in our culture is to, in the dominant Mm -hmm. European culture in North America anyway, is you and I will go to our friends and complain about the other. Mm -hmm. And our friends will support us, agree with us, get all riled up with us. And that will end up, of course, continuing to have this divide or this wedge grow between us. Whereas in more peace-oriented cultures, if we were to go to our friends and community members, they would be supporting and encouraging us to go and speak back with each other. Mm -hmm. And 
Or they'd have some other process. There would be like an understanding that there was someone in that society that functions in a certain way that would help us, right? Isn't that the third side? Isn't that what you're getting to? Yes, and that isn't a piece that I usually speak to. There is another piece. Do you want to speak about that? And then I'll add the piece that I usually add. Well, I think that he, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're more familiar with the book, but I think what he found in peaceful societies was that there was a structure in their society and an understanding that um, if you have a conflict with someone, there's someone that you can go to or there's a process that you can go through. Well, the process that you can go through is the one I'm familiar with, and I haven't read it in a long time, and I've become fossilized in which stories I'm telling from it, so I may need to go back and read it again. The piece that I remember is if you and I are having trouble resolving, the process available to us is a type of circle, and that all the cultures he looked at had a type of circle that enabled us to take our individual conflict to a more public or communal Mm. conversational level. And I see that linking back to the political conversation we were having with Phil Mm. in that our European system doesn't lend itself Mm. easily to us to engage, right? So what's different in these societies is that there's a common community conversation that happens, right? Because what we're talking about is having two individual community conversations, our own constituencies or our own communities, right? Mm -hmm. Which tend to escalate Mm -hmm. things. And then if we look at the political reality that's happening now, I guess a common observation is the the kind of starkness of the divide, the lack of middle ground, the lack of the ability to have a common conversation, right? That's These right. two separate conversations That's where right. people, the rift gets bigger because we just, the left keeps talking to the left and the right keeps, keeps talking to the left instead, yeah. of, instead of a common conversation of some kind. Yeah, yeah and in, in social media echo chambers, mm-hmm. but not only social media, yeah. but in all kinds of informational echo chambers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Another way that Phil talked about in the sort of big picture that there's been lack of courage in his view is the withdrawing from investment in peace. So he feels that the G8 countries and other affluent countries in the world have withdrawn, yeah, withdrawn their effort to create a peaceful world, retreated into kind of silos of self-interest, mm-hmm. taking fewer risks on the mm-hmm. world stage mm-hmm. and use the term, so what remains is an architecture of self-delusion. I thought it was mm-hmm. quite a strong statement. I think the implication is that the idea that by withdrawing from efforts towards peace, that that helps you is actually a delusion in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the phrase again? It was really great. The architecture of what s- remains is an architecture of self-delusion. self-delusion. Yeah, that's a direct quote. Yeah. Yeah. From and actually, that's from the Globe and a Globe and Mail article that, that we, he wrote. That's right. Yeah, that we used as some of our research as opposed to the interview. But you know, for me, the experience was a fine line because I think thematically there were times where, and I had this experience with Elizabeth May as well. But there were times where I experienced a sense of despair, mm. and I'm remembering that as you share that quote from the Global Mail mm-hmm. article. And I thought what was so great in the interview and as an experience was how he's been there. And I mean, let me just say, he's been there in a way that I can't even imagine mm-hmm. in 
I mean, in Rwanda and in many other mm. countries, and to today, he's still mm. called as a as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just mention the facts there, eh? That he was part of a peacekeeping mission in Rwanda. There were around four hundred of them left there by the UN, but they in were in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, and definitely they were depotentialized, though, right? They were unable to take any military action. Most of them were not armed anyway. That's right. And they and so for over a period of several months, eight hundred thousand people were killed in that That's genocide, right. and they were there watching it. Helplessly. Help, kind of helplessly. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if yeah. that must have been the peak or the valley of mm. the most intense military experience for anybody. Mm. Yeah. And actually, just on that uh, note, I know that in the article that you're referencing, the Globe and Mail article, Phil said that um, April 7th mm-hmm. every year yeah. is uh, since the genocide. It's a day of remembrance mm-hmm. for that genocide. And uh, I think that this particular podcast or Riffcast combination will be released around. That's right. I think the, the I think the interview was released a day or so either side of that. Mm-hmm. And this will be like a week later, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to acknowledge the... Um, the coincidence of those two events. And synchronicity. Of yeah, it, synchronicity. Really, mm-hmm. yeah. On the theme of hope, because that's what I was going to say, although mm-hmm. I feel some despair as I sit with the experience of what it must be like to be in the mm-hmm. in the heart of the beast or heart of the belly, mm-hmm. belly of the beast, mm-hmm. <laughs> heart of the belly. I don't think there is a heart of the belly. At the same time, I really appreciated his, his capacity to hold on to hope. Mm-hmm. And the one uh, quote I have from hearing him talk on the interview was this piece around, we are a lot more powerful than we think. Mm -hmm. That's all we need to decide to do. That's all we need, sorry, to decide basically to act. Mm -hmm. And that reminded me of some of the work we've done in organizations. And I know we've spoken about that in the past, but when I've spoken to one party, perhaps an employee, let's say, and an employer, a boss and and a direct report, and I'll speak with the direct report and the person will tell me, well, my boss has all the power. I could get fired. You know, I'm not sure if there's anything I can do here. I'm I'm the victim in this. Basically, I'm Mm -hmm. powerless. I have no options. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go speak with the boss, which is this privilege of the work that we do to be able to hear multitudes of perspectives. And when I speak with the employer or the boss, he'll tell he or she will tell me some similar story, which is, you know, this employee has so much power. He or she is really turning everybody's attitudes hmm. against me. And I'm also concerned because this person knows my boss's boss and they're affecting my reputation. And so it does come down. Pa- power sometimes does seem to come down to perception. Mm-hmm. Do you want to add something to that from your perspective around power? It's a little bit tangential, but it's significant. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of times people associate power with authority in a hierarchical structure. Mm -hmm. And there are actually many, many other sources of power, right? And when when you help people get in touch with some of those other sources, it's can build their capacity to engage mm-hmm. collaboratively, right? Are you thinking about the raven in French, eight sources of yeah, power? Yeah, I guess so, yeah, or something yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. So there's knowledge as power, interpersonal capacity as power. Connection to others. Connection. Mm-hmm. 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 Person, and then on a personal level, there are things you can, working with yourself, right? Becoming mm-hmm. more clear about what matters to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and linked to Phil's interview, he was talking, he didn't use the phrase consumer advocacy, but basically voting with your pocketbook around buying locally, um, growing your own food, 
etc. And I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the places he and I have connected. It's just the yeah. local food movement. Yeah. yeah. So on the point of power, there's a beautiful quote from Rebecca Solnit from her newer book, 2008, sorry, 2018 book called Call Them by Their True Names, American Crises and Essays. That might be a nice way to end the podcast. What do you think? Sure. Little bedtime story? (laughs) (laughs) Don't fall asleep. (laughs) Okay, it's a couple paragraphs just to warn people who are listening. It just, it seemed for me to encapsulate when I was looking at it, it seemed to encapsulate a lot of what we were speaking about. Mm -hmm. There is one challenge though. What's that? There is a Latin phrase here that I know I will trip over. Do you know what that actually is? E pluribus unum. Okay, folks. E pluribus unum. Unum? Mm-hmm. Unum. That's a U? Yes, it's two U's. Aye, with aye, an aye. N in between. With an N in between. Okay. How do you know that? I can read. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're trying. You're reading without your reading glasses. That's the problem. I don't have reading glasses because <laughs> that, I don't need reading glasses. That's right. You're suffering under the illusion that you don't need them. But yes, I am. <laughs> I'm living in that illusion. Right. Anyway. Read, please. I will. All right, here we go. These are the very, basically the very last words of this Rebecca Solnit book. Ready? Yeah. All right. The only power adequate to stop tyranny and destruction is civil society, which is the great majority of us when we remember our power and come together. The job begins with opposition to specific instances of destruction, but it is not ended until we have made deep systemic changes and recommitted ourselves, not just as a revolution, because revolutions don't last, but as a civil society with values of equality, democracy, inclusion, full participation, a radical e pluribus unum, plus compassion. This work is always first and last storytelling work, or what some of my friends call the battle of the story. Building, remembering, retelling, celebrating our own stories is part of our work. This work will only matter if it's sustained. To sustain it, people have to believe that the myriad small incremental actions matter, that they matter even when the consequences aren't immediate or obvious. They must remember that often when you fail at your immediate objective to block a nominee or a pipeline or to pass a bill, that even then you may have changed the whole framework in ways that make broader change more possible. You may change the story or the rules, give tools, templates, or encouragement to future activists and make it possible for those around you to persist in their efforts. To believe it matters, well, we can't see the future but we have the past, which gives us patterns, models, parallels, principles, and resources, stories of heroism, brilliance, and persistence, and the deep joy to be found in doing the work that matters. Very last sentence. With those in hand, we can seize the possibilities and begin to make hopes into actualities. Hmm. And I want to relate it again to conflict and that Public engagement, political activity requires the willingness to have conflict and differences with others, right? Differences in conflict and work through them. And so the the capacity to have that in your individual life, your family, wherever, is important on the larger world stage. Wow, that's big. 
And you're reminding me actually of something from Brene Brown around mm. having both vulnerability and courage. Mm. And I think she talks about, it's not quite right, but something like open heart and strong backbone. Mm. So having both the capacity to be compassionate and assertive. Mm. Um, and thank you for bringing it, grounding it right back into conflict politics and what we can do, uh, go out and have the engaged conversations with those who are different from us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. If you love this episode of On Conflict, then help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. And you can spread these big ideas too by sharing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you show up online. Want to know more about us? Check out our website on conflictpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Now, go make the world a better place.